I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. go. Here we go. Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. So what's so what's so what's the scenario? (laughs) Go ahead. It's the 50th year of hip hop. You know, hip hop just had its 50th birthday. Yes. Open up with a little hip hop reference. You know? I love it. I thought you were about to like spit a whole freestyle, and I was just like, "Dang, we haven't even started." She's already one up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not have um, a pre. I mean, I do have a freestyle in me, but mm-hmm. not ready to come out right now. No. Okay. Yes, but great homage to the 50th anniversary of hip hop. There's been some great segments on NPR, and also yeah. uh, New York Times ran a really great article highlighting a bunch of different artists. That was very cool. That's right. That's right. I just listened to um, a podcast. Uh, one of the, I think it's one of the New York Times podcasts. It's been a minute. I think I don't know if it's an NPR one. Either way, um, but this um, particular episode was centering on a genre of hip hop music that came out of Oakland. Mm-hmm. You live yep. hyphy music. Hi-fi. Yep. Hyphy. <laughs> E40, yep, yep. too short. Yep, yep, yep. So I thought about you. I was like, oh, I know somebody who lives in Oakland. Yeah. Well, I really <laughs> actually mostly enjoy the um, the highlights of the Houston rappers. Paul Wall, Slim Thug. Chopped and Screwed. Yes. Hey. Yeah, y'all, y'all don't know nothing about that Chopped and Screwed, man. Yeah. <laughs> kind of grimy I didn't know you liked the grimy uh stuff like that I mean it's hard not to when it came from your hometown like I yeah um well since you shouting out Houston then can I please shout out the west coast that's where we got the gangster rap from mm-hmm. thank you yes. very much um yeah. to my people who you know who remember that time mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely. born out of our lived experiences yeah mm-hmm. yeah Black people are, are just movement makers. I just, I love that about us. Oh my God, we are so creative. <laughs> oh my goodness, I have to say that. Um, and speaking of of movement makers, you know what I did on Friday, right? What did you do on Friday? On Friday, um, this was not diastolito, this was diastolone for real. <laughs> I went to see Beyonce oh, concert. Great, yeah. For the Renaissance tour. She did not disappoint. Wow. She gave the people what they came for. Mm-hmm. One of my absolute favorite moments of this concert, there's a song on her album, the Renaissance album, which is what this centered on. There's a song called Heated. And on Heated, there's a part where she's like saying, I got to fan myself off. Everybody knows that you're supposed to use a fan during that song. Mm-hmm. Everybody had fans. At the <laughs> And I realized that I had come into this concert and had not brought a fan. And I was, and I know the whole album back and forth. So when the song came on, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then a black woman, like four seats over from me, and I was in a suite. So she reached over out of her suite into my suite and handed me a fan. Oh my God. She said, sis, 
Sis, I bought a backup fan because I knew somebody was going to need one. Oh I said, only God. a black woman is going to have a backup fan. Yes. So I was flicking my fan with Beyonce. Man, it was amazing. I am so living that experience through you right now. Yes. And I will also say that um, even if a person has seen Beyonce before, one of the most special things about this album is that it is truly a love letter to the queer community. Mm. Oh, it is just, it is, it is, it is just so much that is beautiful about the way that that she is celebrating all of the many facets of what you mm. know people are like. And considering some of what's happened um, in the news recently, I'm not sure if we mentioned um, the name of O'Shea Sibley who. Yeah, yeah, was the beautiful black man who was dancing to Renaissance and um, who unfortunately was assaulted and, and who died. I think that the, just the spirit of this whole album as a celebration of of a marginalized group so unapologetically is fabulous. Mm. And it just made me it just made me want to go hug her. But, you know, security. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's let's keep you intact for now, but maybe one day. Well, for now, I would just fan myself off. <laughs> yeah, that was dope, though. Was dope. Amazing, amazing. Well, can I just make one one quick book recommendation? Please, please do. <laughs> I was cat sitting at a friend's house. Um, oh God! I know. Okay. All right. <laughs> you start a conversation with yeah. I was cat sitting. I love the I love the cats. But I picked up a book off of their shelf because I was intrigued by the title. The, the title is called What is the What? <gasps> yes, it's by... I know, what the, I know what the cover looks like. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I mean, you probably are more familiar with it than I am. Apparently, it was, you know, it's, um, you know, New York Times bestseller. It was um, a finalist for the National Book Award. I was not aware of this book. Again, I just picked it up just based on the title and then... I finished this book in probably 36 hours. It was so captivating, but also deeply emotional just to really sit with the depth of suffering that has occurred in Sudan, which is the premise of the book was, um, you know, this this gentleman has survived a really, really brutal civil war and a lot of just unspeakable violence, walked across the country to Ethiopia and later Kenya to live in a refugee camp for about a decade before resettling in Atlanta. Hmm. And um, yeah, I, I think that one of the things that I appreciate the most about books like these is how it really just moves our awareness and our perspective on things that feel so far away, but recognizing, you know, the the connectedness that we as people who live in a country whose foreign policies and politics directly influence or indirectly influence people's lives around the world and really informs the conversation in different ways around immigration and asylum. So mm-hmm. I just really recommend that, not just for the title, but just it's just a really impactful read. That's dope. That's dope. So I I love that. And I actually know of the book but i have not read it in honesty Mm -hmm. so i feel like that's a very strong wreck and i will Mm -hmm. take that with me to my heart and perhaps to my next book (laughs) especially if it's on audible (laughs) (laughs) amazing all right well i know that 
we could talk about Beyonce, we can talk about books um, for the foreseeable future. But I do recognize that, you know, we got we we got busy lives on this Monday. So I want to have ample time for myself and all of our audience members to take in a story from the Dr. Kimberly Manning. You know, I listened to your interview with the Dr. Glaucoma Flocken and his wife. Flockens. Yes. Last night when I was twisting my hair. And I stand by every word that they said that you are one of the most phenomenal storytellers that exist in our modern times. So, sis, thank you for regaling us today. I would love to know <laughs> what is the what. <laughs> Those tears are me just trying to figure out what the what is. <laughs> um. Okay, the what is scene seen okay that's a new one seen as in being seen mm-hmm. what it. comes to mind when you say when i say that to you i feel like feeling seen is a part of feeling loved i think that to be seen in the fullness of who you are like someone really seeing you your truth your authenticity like that to me feels like the thing that we all need to feel safe and secure and at home. Yep. Yep. You know, um, <laughs> one of the um, things Beyonce says in one of her songs, um, it opens with saying, I'm one of one. I'm number one. I'm the only one. Mm. And, and, you know, wow, she's Beyonce and she might be <laughs> having a different context. <laughs> so, even if you're an identical twin, you know, you're one of one, like mm-hmm. you're, you're you. And um, there is nothing that really feels, you know, more hurtful than seeming insignificant. And like your one of one isn't something that anybody's checking for. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we tell these stories about our perspective as Black Americans in predominantly non-Black environments and how it feels like you aren't seen. But it is not even guaranteed, even in spaces where you think you'll be seen, that you will. And Mm so this story, I'm going to take you back to when I was a medical student. And um, for context, both college and medical school for me were at historically black institutions. So me being on a clerkship, me being in class, I I was with black folks. My whole class looked like me. I remember there were like two people in my class that were white and one girl that was Chinese. I remember this. Mm -hmm. I remember exactly who they were. Everybody else in my class was black. But what we know is that our intersecting identities were more than just our, our race and ethnicity. We're, we're women. And in addition to medicine being a historically white um, place, it's historically male too. So mm-hmm. I was on my internal medicine clerkship. It was my first clerkship. Back then, we started our clerkships July 1. Like everything else before that was in the classroom. And that was a big rite of passage. So right along with these brand new interns, here are you on the floors, right? I was so nervous and so excited to be on internal medicine. And, you know, that was one of the biggies and I was ready. Because I had just gotten through with summer and a little break beforehand, I had my hair braided. Mm. And so I had gotten my hair and some box braids, but I wore them like, you know, back in like a little neat ball. 
and didn't like wearing my contacts to work that much. So I was wearing my glasses. And I remember coming in to round one day and my attending coming in with this big team, like three interns, two other students, the senior residents, all these people. And my attending, like looking around the room and talking to everybody and points to me and says, oh, are you one of the medical students on our team? I say, yes, sir, I am. He said, who are you? And I say my name and I say, you know, my name is Kimberly Ben Draper and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, okay, nice to have you, Kimberly. And then, you know, goes around, says something to the other person on my team who was a male. He was the M4 on the team. He identifies himself and we keep it pushing. We round, it's all good. So the following day, my attending comes in, same attending. He doesn't even say two words to me. He does talk to the uh, other student, talks to the interns. And at this time, I was the only female on my team. Um, everybody else on my team was a, was a male, uh, but we were all black. It was hairy. It was like, okay, I, I felt psychologically safe for the most part, but it was kind of weird that he didn't look in my direction or really say anything to me. He was, you know, Socratic questioning the, the other medical student and the interns, but nothing ever came to me. It was like all the pitches were like not in my direction. So like the third day, it happens again. And I, you know, I'm a middle child. I'm, I'm pretty scrappy. So I'm going you know, I'm to I'm insert myself. I'm going to say something. I start, can I ask a question, you know, something, something. And he looks at me and he says, oh, tell me, tell me your role. Are you shadowing with us? Oh, my God. <laughs> now, remember, two days ago, I had introduced myself to this dude. Mm. But on this day, I wasn't wearing my glasses mm -hmm. and I had my braids hanging down. They were like right past my shoulders. And he said, oh, are you shadowing with us? Are you are you? I said, no, sir, I'm I'm one of the M3s on the team. He said, oh, OK. And who are you? My name. My name is Kimberly Draper. It was like Groundhog Day. I was like, my name is Kimberly Draper. He says, OK, Kimberly, good to have you with us. And we kept rounding. OK. This is not an exaggeration. So he commences to ignore me for another like three or four more days. My head started itching and I took my braids down and, you know, washed my hair and had it slicked back in a ponytail. What do you think happened the next day? Oh. Oh, are, are you um, are you are you are you a student? Or oh, a my God. Same dude. Ugh. <laughs> same dude and Ooh. i was like oh i was like okay is he joking <laughs> and and he wasn't so i was like uh yeah my name's kimberly draper i'm the m3 on the team yeah i've been here and i felt like i needed i owed it to him for me to explain yep. why yep. he don't see me so i'm like mm -hmm. oh no no i had braids before and i was wearing my glasses but today i took my braids out and he was like oh okay okay well okay so that was that and just to be clear, like there was no apology or acknowledgement. Oh, hell no. The other, the other piece though is nobody else on my team was, was throwing a flag on the play. They weren't like stepping in to like, to back me up or anything like that. They, I mean, and it was the kind of train wreck that you could see the lights were coming. The horn was honking. You could see it. They could have just said, Hey, sir. And this is Kimberly Draper. She's the M3. This is so like, even though it would be weird to keep reintroducing me. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking three times is the doggone charm. My mm -hmm. attending is absolutely going to know who I am. 
So then about um, maybe like another three or four days later, you know, had a little time. So I washed my hair and blow dried it and flat ironed it and came in with my hair down. Mm-hmm. My hair at that point was about shoulder length in a bob. And I walked in with my hair down, wearing my glasses, still me, same student, only girl on the team. This time when I walk in, my attending notices me, but I think he notices me as a woman, mm. as an attractive woman. Mm-hmm. And his eyes look over at me and they rest on me. And I say, please don't ask me who I am. He says, are you new to our team? Oh my God. <laughs> now, I, let me say this, y'all, in case you're wondering if this attending was like mentally ill or something. <laughs> this was back in the day when attendings did not spend a lot of time with the team. They would kind of float in, round with you for like an hour and bounce. And it was all, everything else was run by the residents. Mm-hmm. But still, I was seeing this man every day, but he looked at me and I could just tell the way he looked at me was like a woman, like a man who is interested in women looks at a woman. Mm-hmm. And it was an attention that I immediately did not like. He didn't say or do anything. He just asked me kind of who I was. And, and it's so sad because I, I wasn't even acting irritated. I was like, oh, sir, my name is Kimberly Draper. I'm the M3 mm-hmm. on the team. Said the exact same thing every time. But today I, I have my hair, I straightened my hair and it's and I look different. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, okay. He's like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. You know what? Oh, yeah. I do remember you. <laughs> like, yeah, bro, you should remember me because I've introduced myself to you like three times. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you, when I finished my medicine clerkship, let me tell you what I knew for absolute, for absolute sure. Nobody, nowhere, no way, no how could get me to do internal medicine. Mm. I knew I hated medicine. Internal medicine was the worst. And um, I felt very sure that I was not going to do it, S- solidified by that experience. So because, you know, the thing about it is the fact that I wasn't seen made rounds unpleasant. It made me like not like anything about the experience, everything. I You know, this was when the lab used to close at a certain hour. So, you know, I was I was always scudding off to go like spin urine and gram stain stuff and everything, which should have been really exciting to me. But all I could think about was that I just felt like an invisible workhorse, mm-hmm. right? Like the bottom of somebody's shoe. We, we've heard references to black women being just the, the mule of the world, right? You know, Zora Neale Hurston says it so beautifully, right? I couldn't wait for that experience to be over. Yeah. So I was a fourth year medical student in July when I decided on my residency program because I thought I was going to be a surgeon. Mm-hmm. I was sure that I was going to be a surgeon. And it was not until I was on my surgery sub eye that my my mentor sat me down and said, look, sis, I don't even know how to tell you this, but you are not a surgeon. And, and essentially told me that my interest in explaining to people about their discharge plans and mm. doing consults and helping people, you know, get their medications and all this stuff. She's like, baby, that's internal medicine. I said back to her, I definitely am not going to apply for residency in internal medicine. I mean, I like kind of like peds too. I don't know, but I don't think I want to be a pediatrician. I like grown up. She goes, why don't you apply for this med peds? You're young and you, you will then have more options. So then you'll be boarded in internal medicine and peds. You don't only have to do medicine. 
And if you end up wanting to do a, a subspecialty, you can. That's how I ended up choosing MedPeds. Oh my God. Just because it was not just medicine. Mm, mm. Now, to be clear, I loved my MedPeds residency. I loved caring for children and think I was probably a better pediatrician than I was internist. I really knew peds well, but I also knew that I wanted to teach and care for an underserved population. And the underserved population in Atlanta was, was at Grady Hospital and it was adult medicine. But if I had had a different attending, a whole different experience, it would have changed the whole way I thought about internal medicine. Yeah. It would have changed everything. And I can tell you there is nothing that makes you feel smaller than someone treating you like you are invisible or insignificant. Mm -hmm. I was so insignificant on that team that I was not worth remembering. And, and, and I put the onus on myself to explain to you why you don't see me. Oh, oh, oh. It's like, it's like when women are sexualized and they, oh, it's because I had on this mm -hmm. or it was terrible. It was just terrible. And then the day you do notice me is the day that I look the way that you think a girl is supposed to look. So what do you think kind of message that sent to me as a medical student? What do you think I did for the rest of my time in medical school? Do you think I ever got braids again? Mm. Hell no. Do you think I even slicked my hair back? Hell no. I was up late at night, flat ironing, blow drying, and all these things to my hair yep. so that I could look away so that somebody would see me. Because you ain't going to even know I'm smart if you don't ask me no questions or give me a chance to even get off the bench. I'd be like, coach, let me in. And, 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 and he wouldn't even let me off the bench because I wasn't even worth looking at registering right. or remembering. He didn't know you were on the rotation. Baby, who are you? Who are you four times? So, I mean... This was not at this was not at a majority institution. This was at a historically black institution. Yep. And then I have to look like what the world assigns as pretty because my hair, my hair was long and straight. Yep. And it moves, as my friends would say, like a white girl's hair. <laughs> yep. And when I when I presented myself that way, my attending saw me on site. And I did not have another problem with that attending, knowing who I was after that, which sucked. Yeah. Oof. That sucked, man. Man, y'all can't see me, but I've been shaking my head like this whole time. I am so irritated and disgusted by that type of behavior for so many reasons. I'm frustrated also because I know that look. I remember as an undergrad, I was shadowing um, some male doctors near my college. And somewhere in that week between being invisible and getting a, a weave, essentially having fake hair put in that was long and move like a white girl, everything changed after that. Yep. And suddenly I was getting a lot of attention. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think about right before I came to Atlanta, I had this sort of epiphany and decided to just cut all my hair off mm. 
And I went from, you know, again, shoulder length, swinging long hair to a a one inch pixie, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember walking into public spaces and noticing that people did not look at me the same way that they did before. They just didn't. Now, the people who did look at me, they really looked at me. They noticed me more. They listened to what I was saying more. But as far as just outward gaze and walking into like any space with my hair like short, um, it didn't do what my long hair did. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, it wasn't even until I was talking this story through that I realized how much work and effort I spent the rest of my time in medical school putting into my hair. Mm-hmm. So that that so that I wouldn't be invisible again. And I, I kind of thought it was because maybe I needed to look more professional. Yeah. But really, I, I needed to seem pretty mm. by a standard that was really the male gaze. Yeah. Which sucked because I liked to wear my hair in a ponytail and I liked getting my hair done in box braids and <clears throat> goddess braids and all of these protective hairstyles. And I don't knock anybody who chooses to wear their hair long and straight. I mean, I wear my hair straightened now. Mm-hmm. And that's my choice. That's yeah. my choice. And I, and I do that now because I can do what I want to do. But back then I didn't do it because it was what I wanted to do. I did it because it was what I had to do. Yeah. I'm really struck by what you said about you felt that the onus was on you to explain or make up for the fact that you weren't being seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably hits home for so many folks. Yeah, because, you know, pretty is one of these things that some people, they just genetically got handed that and they don't really got to do that much. But but that that's all subjective, right? And, and imagine having to eat up your time that you could have been studying yep. and your cognitive energy yes. on trying to be pretty. Yes, yes, that part. For the sake of, for the sake of being seen mm-hmm. versus it's another thing to like do something to your appearance because it'll make you feel good about yourself and you just like to feel good about you is what you want to do. But it, it was just, it was a, and it was subtle. And I'm still a little, you know, I was real cool with my senior resident and my, my, my co-student and my interns and nobody ever said anything to me. Like that is so bugged out that he keeps not knowing who you're, if anything, they joked about about it. Mm -hmm. They just laughed about it. They was like, um, let's see if today our attending knows you. So it was either one of two things, either he was going to ask me who I was, or he was going to completely ignore me. Mm. That's a hot mess. Yeah. And also this was your very first rotation. My very first rotation, my Mm -hmm. very, very first rotation, you know, and now I, I know that your experience on a clerkship could actually prove to be the thing that makes you either consider it or not consider it. Exactly. So when I'm going into my time as attending on awards, I often say, the reason you don't do internal medicine will not be because of this, this time right now. Mm, mm, mm. Now, if you don't do internal medicine, it's going to be because you don't want to do internal medicine. It's not going to be because I did not give you a fantastic experience as a learner where yeah. you felt seen and taught and, and like you matter. Mm. And if after that you are, you decide you don't want to do this, then great. 
but I don't want you to like count out a whole specialty because somebody was an asshole. It just reminds me how, how grateful I am that you chose this specialty, that you chose academic medicine and chose to flip the switch on how we allow and welcome people to show up in the fullness of their identities and be seen in this space. It's been, you know, it's been way too long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So listen, if your hair is long and straight, if you got locks, if you start in baby locks, if you got Bantu knots, braids, a twist out, some braids that you need to take down. Mm -hmm. If you decide to rock, rock a head wrap, if you are wearing hijab, if you are doing whatever it is that is true and is you in a space, if you're wearing your glasses, wearing your contacts, or wearing reading glasses on top of your head like me with presbyopia, all of it is welcomed and is fine and is you. Mm. And it is our job to see each other. You do not get to keep reintroducing <laughs> yourself to me within a two week period, mm -hmm. four different times. Yep. And if you're next to somebody and something like that happens to them, man, put a flag on the play. Mm -hmm. That was not cool. No, not cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I see you. I see you in jewels. Thank you. Even though she's a little dirty right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Beyonce, for this. It's yeah, all good. Wearing my scalp. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah, girl. We just all want to be seen. Yep. Mm -hmm. That is all anybody really, really wants in this world. Yeah. Think. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes me think of this amazing quote from Parker J. Palmer, which says, here's the deal. The human soul doesn't want to be advised or fixed or saved. It simply wants to be witnessed, mm. be seen, heard, and companioned exactly as it is. When we make that kind of deep bow to the soul of a suffering person, our respect reinforces the soul's healing resources, the only resources that can help the sufferer make it through. Mm. And that's from Parker J. Palmer. And that's not just our patients who need to be seen, but us too. Yes. Love you, sis. Love you dearly. And I see you too. Mm. Love you too, sis. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and the Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.